0: Well, good morning. My name is Robbie. um, I'm from Parkwood Baptist Gastonia. I serve on staff there as the First Impressions pastor. So it's good to be here to fill in for Stephen. It's an honor. Um, I love your setup here. You've got Little B Bread down there and the capital B Bread in here. So that's pretty neat how God arranged all that. So we we will be in, in Psalm 47 this morning. And the title this morning is Praise the Exalted King. Praise the Exalted King. And the main idea is that the psalmist commands and compels all people to praise the Lord as king over all the earth. Just to give us a little um, window into this psalm before we stand and read. Psalm 47 is one of the enthronement psalms. These are these are simply psalms that celebrate God's kingship. Many believe this, this particular psalm was, was birthed out of Israel's conquest of Canaan. If you remember, God He promised to drive out the, the surrounding nations so Israel could occupy the promised land. And the the climax of that event was recorded in Joshua 21, where it says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he swore to give to their fathers. And having taken possession of it, they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. And not one of all their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. So, Get a picture. This is for Israel, this psalm was a happy day when, when they were reminded of the Lord's supremacy over all the earth. But before we get into it, I want to give you three extra d- dimensions to this psalm. This is more than just being about Israel. This psalm is is is, is, is powerful because it's Christological. That just means it, it, it points to Christ. Um, in, In Christian tradition, this psalm has often been read on the 40th day after Easter, which is the day Christ ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And second, this psalm is missional. This psalm is a call for all nations to repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. And lastly, this psalm looks way ahead it goes past the cross, past the resurrection, past the ascension, past the day of Pentecost, even past 2019 to a time when God will consummate his kingdom. It points to a day when that great promise he made to Abraham that through his offspring, all nations will be blessed. So with those thoughts, stand and read and let's, let's read Psalm 47 and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive into it. So Psalm 47, it says the inscription to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah, verse 1. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us. The pride of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. belong to God. He is highly exalted. Let's pray. Lord God, illumine our hearts today. Make your word shine in our hearts. Give us faith to believe it, Lord, and change our lives with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I was recently at Books a Million. I like to read, I like to browse books and and I, one thing I, one subject I like to read about is stars and planets and in that section I came across this neat little book called the The Powers of Ten. This is a it's a picture book that that shows the relative size of things. It it starts with this this shot of a couple in Chicago having a picnic in a park and then the camera lens zooms a factor of ten away so you see all of Chicago. And then it zooms farther and farther. And you see the United States, the earth, the globe, the sun, and then all the way to the Milky Way galaxy. And something like that is happening here at the beginning of this psalm. It begins with, with some, a picture of some worshipers in Jerusalem. And it moves out. And you see Israel, this tiny little piece of land, probably no bigger than the size of Vermont. And eventually it goes back and back and we are reminded that God is the king over all the earth. And the response here is simple. It's, it's all in praise. Look at verse 1. He says, clap, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy for the Lord, the most high, is to be feared, revered as the great king over all the earth. Now, if you were here last week I think Stephen preached from Psalm 46, and you learn to be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that God is king. But here in Psalm 47, the tone is, is quite different. It's shout and cheer. It's get loud about it. And the picture is kind of what you might see at a concert or a sporting event. I've been watching the, um, the NBA finals. I love basketball and one of my favorite players right now is Stephen Curry. I've gone from Michael Jordan to Steph Curry. And um, it's always cool to see him get on his three-point streaks where he starts nailing those suckers. And, and the crowd always goes crazy, and they get loud. And, 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 and this is kind of what the picture is here in Psalm 47, that they, they, Israel, the people of God, are applauding and cheering about the greatness of God. Now, We can apply this a little bit to our worship services and the nature of them. Um, When we gather as the people of God, there should be times that we um, respectfully and rightly praise God with excitement and passion. You know, when we gather, this is not to be, not that it is here, but it's never to be a stoic and dry event. You know, it always amazes me. Um, It concerns me, actually. That when I see, I see sometimes professing believers who come to church week in and week out and they never sing, <laughs> their, their mouths never open during the worship. And I have to ask myself, how can that be? The redeemed clap, they applaud, they sing. Now, look at verse 3. Verse, verse 3 reveals exactly why Israel is so excited. Verse three says, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh subdued nations under us, people under our feet. Now, the word subdued here is in the past tense, and it means to to make subject or submissive. So coupled here in verse three with peoples under our feet, we get a picture of the Lord placing his foot on the neck of. Of Israel's enemies. Now, we could rapid fire Old Testament events like these that we all know, the Red Sea, we go Jericho, there's many of these, but all of these events were were clear displays of God's unparalleled power and sovereignty. Now, we don't use the word sovereignty so much, some of us. So to say God is sovereign means that he's powerful. And authoritative to the extent of being able to override all other powers and authorities. One, uh, one of the, all, all, the, all the great saints of the Bible, they love to boast about the impressiveness of God's sovereignty. Um, Job 42.2 is one of my favorites. I think it's one of the most clearest definitions of God's sovereignty. It says this. When all things were said and done, Job said, I know that you, O God, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Then Daniel, another Old Testament saint, he says in chapter four that the Lord does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And then you jump to the, to the New Testament, and, and Timothy, the great disciple of Paul, he concludes his first letter with this. This is what he concludes his letter with, of all things. He says, God is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. Um, so I have four boys. And one of my favorite things to do with them is talk Theology. God talk. That's what theology is, the study of God. And my, my middle child, sitting here on the second row, I'm embarrassing him a little bit, but my middle child, he comes to me about every night and he, he says, Daddy, when are we going to talk about God? And just about every night he comes to me with that. And the other day I was reading um, a devotion and the title was the Bible's message. God is God. And the point of of that devotion was that one of the main reasons God gave us the Bible is to reveal his unrivaled reign and rule. I always tell people this. The Bible is for us. It is. But it's not about us. It's for us, yes. But it's ultimately about the majesty and the greatness of God. And God, God says of himself in Isaiah 46, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. So Israel is celebrating that here. Now, look back at verse 1 real quick. I want you to see something important. So you underline this word here. Verse 1. Clap your hands some people. Nope. It says clap your hands all peoples. So get this. This this is not just a tribal thing here. This This is not a call just to Israel, but a command for all tongues, tribes, and nations to behold the king. Now, now understand that that on some level here, this would have been very countercultural and confrontational. All right? For example, for example, if, if if you ever read the book of 2 Kings, you learn that the surrounding kings were making their own claims to sovereignty. Specifically the king of Assyria. If you read 2 Kings, you see that. These ancient rulers believed that they were, in some sense, divine and sovereign. Even if you study Egypt, Egypt, um, the history of Egypt and the pharaohs, all these, these great leaders, they believed they were, in some sense, in control. They were the master of, the, of their world. And in some way, this is even true today. We see this today. It's that mantra, that old, ancient mantra of I am the captain of my fate, the master of my own soul, is still prevalent today. That mankind, he wants to be his own sovereign. That's one of his problems. He wants to be his own master. But, but what the psalmist is doing here, what God is doing through the psalmist, is he's calling their bluff. Listen, not man, not, nor any superpowers, that includes America nor any other gods of other religions. Only the God of the Bible reigns supreme. Only the Lord is ultimate and worthy of all praise. Amen? Not to stoke, I'm going to use a 2019 word, not to stoke your affections for God to know that he reigns. Now, I want to be careful here. I want to be careful. So, Psalm forty-seven is not talking about converting people by force. Jesus told Peter to put away the sword. But what he means here, there's another word coming into play here. Not only, not only is he commanding worship, he's compelling worship. He's compelling them to come. Anybody ever been to the Rocky Mountains? I love going out west. It's like it's like King's Mountain on steroids. It's just they're they're just they're just like they're just Beautiful. I could sit there and look at them all day. I remember, the, I remember the, the first time I saw them. You know, the first time I beheld those mountains. The, just the, the sheer majesty of those mountains. They do two things. They not only command your attention, but they compel you to stand in awe. So, so something similar here is happening here. That the psalmist is commanding and compelling people to stand in awe. Now, think about in the New Testament. Who's one of the greatest compellers, persuaders of the gospel? Wasn't the, uh, the Apostle Paul? Wasn't he a master compeller? Just, just turn to Acts 14 real quick. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you something I didn't put in my notes, but I to go with it. Now, remember, Paul, Paul, after he saw the risen Jesus, he just, he just couldn't keep it to himself. All right. He couldn't privatize his Christianity. He had to be vocal about it. And if you go to Acts 14, you get that picture there I'm not sure what verse it is, but you get the picture where Barnabas and Paul, they, they confront those Greco-Roman religions, you know, Zeus and all those people. And, and as they enter the city of lists of Lystra. They, they they observed their worship of idols and with great grace and authority, what did Paul say? He said, men, he said, why are you doing these things? In other words, why are you looking to false gods? We also are men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain and empty things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them so... Take that to Psalm 47. We can piggyback that here. The Psalm is doing that here. He's, he's compelling all people to turn from, from empty idols to the one true and living God. Behold, ultimate reality itself. And know He's sovereign. Now, now look at verse 4. Go back to Psalm 47. And let's, let's, let's look at verse 4. So not only is God sovereign over Israel's enemies, but He's sovereign over their provision. Look at verse four. Talking about God here, He says, "The Lord He 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 chose He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom He loves, Selah. So, the the word heritage there in the text, if you got an AS, ASV Bible, the word heritage can be translated inheritance. That might ring ring a little bit more to you. This is this is likely here. Verse four is likely a reference. For the promised land of Canaan, you know, I told you at the beginning, that God promised the land, the inheritance there. Now, there's, there's another level to this I want you to get before I get into the inheritance part. So the magnitude of what Israel is, is, is thinking here, that just think about this, this, this always is profounding to me, profound to me. That in, in a great act of sovereign and unconditional love, God chose From all the nations on the earth, little insignificant Israel, (laughs) to be recipients of his covenant love. (laughs) And, 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 all right, if that's not enough, and to inherit a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. You know, so they're, 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 they're internalizing all this right now. Turn, turn to Deuteronomy 7. I'm, I'm making you turn. I'm going to keep your, your Bible flippers exercise today. So turn, turn to Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 7. By the way, they said Stephen preaches 50 minutes. So I was like, man, I go better preach 50 minutes. <laughs> so I'll probably get about 40, 42. But if you, if you get lucky, I might go 50. <laughs> so anyway, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 7. Wasn't planning on going there, but you need to see this. Because this, this is this is where Israel's operating out of here. Look, he says, uh, De- Deuteronomy seven six through seven says, "The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth." And, and listen, Israel, it was, it was not because of anything in you. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his affection, his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. Now listen, if you're a believer in this room today, if you're in Christ, that's going to apply to you too. That God in Christ has chosen to to give grace towards you. And to save you. what God is sovereign over that. And that's amazing. And now go back to Psalm 47 here. There's not another layer to this. Not only has God sovereignly chose to grace us and save us. But he's chosen to bless us with an inheritance. Look, at, look back at the text. It's, I told you that the, the, the word heritage there means inheritance. Um, let that, just let that simmer on you today that if you're in christ you have an inheritance that if you are in christ today he's saying you have something better than the land flowing with milk and honey and this is this is this is a greater fulfillment you have you have you're rich in god amen now there's a fullness to that inheritance coming turn to first peter 1 I think this is... We'll probably turn two more places. Turn to First Peter 1, 3 through 5. Just to see how all this ties together. First Peter 1, 3 through 5. Peter says... Talking about this, this future inheritance. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. So brothers and sisters, the, the fullness of our inheritance is awaiting us. God is our promised land. That he, the very fullness of God... In, I always, and as Christians, we look forward to that day. I think about John 14. What did Jesus say? He said, let not your hearts be troubled. He said, believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house or many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. So listen to me. Listen to me. As we engage the culture today with the gospel, we must compel them with that. We compel people that you can come to know God in Christ. You get God. Amen? You get God. And I'm sad, it saddens me. It saddens me. That our culture is, is confused about what Christianity actually is. They're confused about it. Many, I believe, and I think if you talk to the random person on the street, that you, they would probably, they only see Christianity as a bunch of rules. A set of laws we have to get right before God will accept us. But that's not the gospel. The message of the Bible, it isn't, it isn't get yourself straightened up. And God will accept you. It's, it's, it's taste and see that the Lord is good. The gospel is about getting God. He's our inheritance. Now, look at verse 5. Go, go back to verse 5 there. We'll get to our second point. So the, the, um, the psalmist continues to stoke their faith and to call people into worship. And in verse 5, he, he, gets, he says, God has, has gone up. With a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. So in Bible times, shouting and trumpet blasts were, were sounds that you would hear regularly. Especially when the king took his throne after a victory. So Jericho, you know, that's one example. The Red Sea. You, after those victories, you might hear trumpets and stuff going off. That's what he's saying here. Because God had defeated them and they celebrated. Now, this is where the text takes a radical shift. All this, this is where it powerfully begins to foreshadow Christ. Turn to Acts 1. Turn to Acts 1, 6 through 11. This is where um, the ascension of Christ is clearly revealed. And as we said earlier, this took place on the 40th day, 40th day after Easter. And think about how all of this ties into him. Verse 6, it says, So when the disciples had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, and he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, Paul. Paul picks this event up in Ephesians 1. Don't turn there. But he picks this up and he says that after Christ completed his work of redemption, after he defeated the enemies of sin and darkness and death, he was raised from the dead and he sat down at the right hand of God. And Paul says he sat down in such a way that he was far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the, in the one to come. Now, if you're like me, the ascension is, you don't hear about it very much. You don't think about it very much. You, in, in, in Christian circles, you, you talk about the cross and you talk about the, the, the resurrection. And rightfully so. Those are paramount key, key things. But sometimes we underemphasize this ascension of Christ and what it meant. Um, a quote here. Um, The ascension is more than just a dazzling exclamation point at the end of the resurrection. It proclaims that Christ is the chief executive of the universe. Now, think about it this way. This was helpful for me. If the resurrection proclaims Christ lives, the ascension proclaims Christ reigns. He reigns over all things, all rulers All authorities, principalities, life, death, all things. Now, look at verse 6. Go back to the text, verse 6. What ought to be our response to that as believers? What ought to be our response? Look, we sing. He says, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm, for God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Brothers and sisters, zone in here for a minute. Knowing that Christ is king brings us great comfort and confidence. Comfort and confidence. Let me illustrate real quick. Yeah, I, I was a school teacher for twelve years. I never, I'll never forget September, September eleventh, two thousand and one. You remember the, you know, the the USA experienced one of the most tragic events in human history um, when those when the passenger jets, sabotaged by terrorists, they struck the twin, twin towers, killing hundreds of people. But I'll never forget where I was that day. When the president came on TV to give the nation an address. And I just remember, I just remember thinking that, that, that very image of the president sitting there down in his chair at his desk in the Oval Office was a signal. It was a signal that the country's leadership wasn't in some undisclosed location hiding and panicking. What comfort and even confidence that brought to my heart. But in a much more marvelous way, think about about Jesus here. In a much more marvelous way, Jesus is on his throne. And despite the craziness and evil of this world, we find comfort and confidence knowing this, that he's moving history toward its ultimate goal. And you know what that ultimate goal is? Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 in Psalm 47. Here's the ultimate goal of history. Verse 9. The princes of the people, they will gather. There's a future tense here. The princes of the people will gather as the people of the God of Abraham for the shields, the superpowers, the strong powers. They all belong to God. The whole earth belongs to him. Now, couple that verse 9 with verse 1. Clap your hands, all peoples. And, And you get a picture of worldwide praise to God for the blessings of salvation. In other words, in other words, get this. Psalm forty-seven is about the king expanding his kingdom. Amen. It's about the king expanding his kingdom. Jesus said in John 12, he said this: When I am lifted up, I will draw all. Men to myself. He's fulfilling Psalm 47. And that, my friends, if you're in Christ, that ought to compel you to worship. We should be compelled by the glory of Christ to believe the gospel. One one thing I love to do, in addition to reading about stars and planets in the Bible and whatnot, is I love to read about how the gospel is radically spreading, how it's radically multiplying. You know, one place right now in particular where it's just going off like firecrackers is Africa. Africa is one place. Statistics are saying that in, in 1900, there were approximately 10 million Christians in Africa. By 2000, there were 360 million so 10 million to 360 million. And then by 2025, conservative estimates see the number rising to 633 million. And I'm, that just blows me away. So so as we think about how the gospel is going to go out to all nations and all people are going to worship this great king, we say with the psalmist at the very end, what's the last. One, two, three, four words, he says, He is highly exalted. He's the sovereign one. And he's a gracious sovereign one who extends salvation to all peoples. Amen? So what this morning? Here's a simple so what? You know, sing praises to the exalted Savior King. Sing praises to him. I'm I'm convinced. I'm convinced that. That sometimes the reason, and I'm talking to myself here, not just to you, that sometimes the reason we don't praise him as we ought is because we lose sight of the big picture. We lose sight of this great God and what he's doing. And we can be so tuned in and turned in on ourselves that we can miss this great story of redemption, what he's doing. But Psalm 47 is helping us here. God's God's lifting our heads and He's beckoning us to see past ourselves to the grand mission of God. Turn to Revelation 7 as we close. Revelation 7. This is where history's going. So some people see history as a cycle of death, an endless cycle of birth and death. Birth and death. Birth and death. That's not how Christians see history. History is more like an arrow, it's an arrow, it's pointing to something. Look at Revelation 7. This is what it's pointing to. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, not a little Wimpy voice, a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen? History is going somewhere, folks. And what's marvelous here to me, what warmed my heart more than anything here this week studying this, was that this great and powerful and sovereign God emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What amazing love. What amazing sovereignty. What amazing grace. Indeed, he is highly exalted so therefore brothers and sisters as we close is, is, is praise him today but don't just sing go out there like paul did in Leicester and or however you say it i don't even know go out there and compel them to believe persuade the lost to see this exalted god and what he's done in christ and if you are an unbeliever here today if you are an unbeliever there's there's a strong warning embedded here in psalm 47 Listen to me. Psalm 47 is not just teaching God is king. It is. But but of course he's king. You know, he's king whether you acknowledge he's king or not. But listen, like the like the conquest of Canaan, the Red Sea, Jericho, we can name him, name him, name him. There were special times in history. Special and unique times when he made his kingship very special clear and it's going to happen again revelations 1 7 says this behold jesus is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will well on account of him even so amen so listen to me today is the day of salvation today is the day bow Believe, revere this great king today with a willing and glad heart. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it has been a, a humbling and motivating thing to study Psalm 47. May we take what we learned today and we eternalize it for ourselves. But may we also teach it to others. May we go out into our communities and to the world and and share this great gospel that you have brought to bear in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.